As we enter the joy story today, we find ourselves in uh, Babylon, and the uh, nation of Israel has now been transported with a guy named Daniel. Now, most of us know Daniel, maybe from Sunday school growing up, as a guy who faced the lions. But he's actually an international diplomat. He's taken away from Jerusalem, transported to Babylon in a national power grab. And he will be known more for his international uh, diplomacy that serves and interacts with nine different kings. But he will actually serve during a time of Judea, a time of uh, Babylon, and a time of Persia. So there's three national power grabs on the national front, and he, almost like the Secret Service, stays on from, from administration to administration. And he will learn how to find joy in leadership, joy in these very challenging transition times, and he will advise some of the most powerful men in the world who don't even agree with his value system. He will find a way to convince them, persuade them, and work with them on the world stage. So that's Daniel. In fact, three of the leaders, or three tendencies of the leaders that he will work with, are tendencies I see in myself and folks that I work with. Uh, Daniel's going to have to work with some uh, you know, pretty lousy leaders during his time. And, and I know for me, there's some of these lousy leading tendencies I see in myself. The first one is what he sees in, in Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is brilliant, but a tyrant. Do you know folks like that? And they are just brilliant. They are the best at what they do. They are so good at what they do. They are such great strategic thinkers in one particular area. But man, their people skills are a challenge. Man, they don't even see the blind spots that they have. And I can see that in others. And I think to myself, well, if I can see it in others, but they can't see it, maybe I've got the same problem. Maybe there's areas in my life that I'm brilliant, but also a tyrant. And Nebuchadnezzar was certainly that way. He was brilliant. When he would take over different nations, what he would do is take in the Babylonian Empire, conquer that nation, and then extract all of their best leaders, all of their best thinkers. That's where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from. They got extracted from from, uh, Judah or from the Israel nation, and they got Babylonianized into the Babylonian culture. So that's where he made him brilliant, because not only was his nation strong, but by assimilating the best leaders, the nation became stronger. And the nations he conquered couldn't come up against them, usually, because all they were left was for the leftovers. But man, he was a tyrant. Don't cross him. Literally, they'd take meat hooks if you came against Babylon, and they would just hook you and drag you behind chariots, because you don't mess with Nebuchadnezzar. And I think all of us have worked with folks who are brilliant, but a tyrant, and yet sometimes when we look in the mirror, we don't see that in ourselves. I remember I went to a restaurant recently, and they just got a new chef. And so the waiter said, oh, you're going to love this meal. It's fantastic. Uh, we have a new chef, and he's from you know, New York or from Chicago, and he's got da-da-da, and he's working in famous places. And, oh, you're going to taste things you've never tasted before. It's a brilliant chef. To which I said, wow, it must be amazing working with somebody like that. Well, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's an artist. Uh, you know, they're temperamental. You know, they're a bit of a perfectionist. And went, there it is, right? Brilliant, but a tyrant. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And that's in me and you, too. The second lousy leader characteristic Daniel's going to work with is revisionist history. You ever had somebody leave your organization? And right before the transition in the company, everybody seemed to think that they were pretty good. And then the minute they're gone, suddenly you get the new reality given to you. Oh, they've never been on board. We've never liked them. They tore everything down. It's like the last guy who left your organization was always the problem, right? And whoever stays gets to rewrite the history. I know that's never happened in your company. I know you've never seen a tendency. 
a voice in me. I've been trying to interact with my brother. We've had a uh, disagreement for about four years, and I've been trying to reconcile with it. And as I was talking to him this week via email, his version of what happened years ago is not my version of what happened years ago. And I thought, man, how can he be so wrong? I thought, oh my goodness, maybe I'm so wrong. As leaders, we've got to work hard to make sure that we see the truth. You see, what happens is when, when we begin to see the world only through our own eyes, we begin to miss our blind spots. Nebuchadnezzar is the same. God says, if you, even though he didn't believe in God, if you continue to live an arrogant, superior, self-centered life, I'm going to actually give you over to your self-centeredness, and you're actually going to lose your mind in your selfishness. And, and then for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, that's exactly what happens. For seven years, he actually wanders outside, he eats grass like a, like a cow, his uh, skin becomes very coarse and his fingernails grow. You might say, well, that's Chad, why I don't believe in the Bible. No one acts like a cow, that's weird. Well, you know, actually in 1800s, psychologists in England uh, actually found uh, several folks in their um, mental institutions who had what's called boanthropy. So we get the word bovine, boanthropy. And it's this condition of losing your mind, it's a mental illness, and this is exactly what he had. And what happens, if you look at the Bible, you see this accounted, but if you look at the Babylonian records, there's no mention of this, revisionist history. Now, you notice in the Babylonian records that there's a time that, that Nebuchadnezzar sort of disappears for several years and a second command takes over, but no mention of what happened because it was an embarrassment. And yet, Daniel will work with guys who have a tendency, leaders who have a tendency to revise history to make themselves look better than they really are. The third thing that I think I see in leadership in myself and with people I work with is what you see with, with Daniel's friends or friends. When Darius, king of Persia, comes along, they lead to keep from losing. You ever know folks who work their way up the ladder? They work their way to have some influence and some greater influence in, in your company. And all of a sudden they get there and they can't delegate very much. They find themselves pushing off blame for, for decisions that they made. And they take credit for things you did. Because they lead to keep from losing. They led to this point, but now they can't really lead because they're so scared they're going to lose their influence or lose their position. They're so scared about delegating to other people because they've got to control everything. So they're so difficult about celebrating other people because what if you look better than me? I don't want to lose my position. So though they, they led to get to this position, now that they're in this position, they can't really lead because they're so scared of losing their position. These men are so scared when Daniel comes on the scene that he might be smarter than them, he might be more, more powerful than them, he might be wiser than them, he might have more influence with the king, that they decide to create this, this political trap about his prayer life to get him thrown into the lion's den because they were so threatened by other people's leadership gifts. And Daniel will work in all this complicated politics nationally, organizationally, on the political scene, and he will have one principle that will impact him. Let's go ahead and turn the page. This principle is so powerful. I came across it several years ago, and it's this. It's that leadership is stewardship. It's temporary, and you're accountable. Leadership, wherever you lead, wherever you influence, leadership is stewardship. It's temporary, and you're accountable. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't believe this. He doesn't believe that what leadership and what influence he has was stewarded him by a god he doesn't believe it's temporary no one's going to ever take his kingdom from him and he certainly doesn't feel he's accountable he's above the rules no one tells him what to do there's rules for other people and there's rules for me so god is going to step in and he's going to give him a vision of a tree 
And then we're going to look at his three truths that Daniel had that worked and found joy in the midst of this complicated national front. Let's look at the tree together as we look into the joy story. You see, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't think that that is true. He doesn't think that his leadership is stewardship. So one night he has a dream, and he's terrified by the dream. It's a dream of a tree, a giant tree of which he recognizes this tree was him. It was his kingdom. It was his influence that he had built such a mighty empire that people from all over the world came under his tree to enjoy the shade, to enjoy the benefits of his great kingdom and his great empire. But he has this dream that terrifies him because in this dream, a watcher comes. What's well, a watcher? Like an angel of some sort. And the watcher comes. He comes down from heaven. He says, chop down that tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation of king. This is the decree of the Most High. You will be driven from men. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and they shall wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times, that seven years will pass over you until you know, and here it is, that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. God determines who's in power where. God is the steward who gives you your position. You didn't earn it. God gave you your job. He gave you your influence. And if you don't recognize that leadership is stewardship, God's going to put you out to pasture for seven years until you come to the conclusion, oh, what I wasted these opportunities. God, I was stewarded my life and empire by you. And it is he who gives to whomever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't believe this. And so one day, having heard that dream, he's scared about it. He's like, God, it's never going to happen to me. I'll never lose my empire. One day he looks at his vast empire and says, look at everything I did. I built how great I am. And God gives him over to this insanity. Let's turn the page. In here we see three principles I think apply to all of us who lead. Number one is that God plants you where you are. I know for me, when I find myself having pride or arrogance or a sense of superiority come, it's when I really think that I earned what I have. And all of a sudden, you know, other people don't have it because they didn't work as hard or they weren't as smart or they don't care as much. And, and this sense of, of arrogance begins to well up in me. But when you believe that leadership is stewardship, you believe, no, God put me in this position, in this time period, in this nation for such a time as this. And God plants you for a season. There will come a time that you'll be unplanted. You won't have this job. You'll be in a different time of influence. And so since it's temporary, I need to be accountable to, to use this time to provide shade for other people. This tree is not about making me look good. It's about providing shade to bless others. And when it comes time that I don't use my opportunities and my leadership to bless others, God can remove that from me. Wow, so I want to steward my time to bless others the way God would want I think what happens many times when you be called king all the time, it's easy to start thinking you are the king. You start believing your own press. Now, we may not have kings, but many of us are called doctors, lawyers, the pastor, the lead pastor, the senior pastor, the senator, the surgeon. What happens is, if you're not careful like Nebuchadnezzar, those titles begin to think that you're above the rules and that maybe you earned what you have rather than being stewarded to you. We were talking to a friend in the educational department a few years ago, and he was uh, coordinating with some politicians here in Ohio um, regarding some education issues. 
he came to one of our senators of the state's office, and he noticed he had a Bible on his desk. And Waukee said, well, tell me about that. Why do you have a Bible on your desk? He said, you know, all day long you hear people say, Senator this, and they say, Senator, and people stand up and make a big deal about me being the senator. He goes, I keep this Bible to remind me that the influence I have is temporary. I won't be senator forever. And during the time I am, I'm accountable to not those who were campaign donors to me, but ultimately accountable to God. And that when people are feeding me my own press about me being the senator or these titles, I want to remember that ultimately this is a stewardship from God. So I think the first lesson we learn from the tree is that this principle is so powerful and that we really can lose our leadership if we're not accountable and using it the way God would intend. So that's what happens here. We're going to enter the story where Nebuchadnezzar is now during the seven-year period of time where he's lost his mind and suffering from boanthropy. And Daniel comes in and is trying to speak to him about this is exactly what I warned you about. How many of you know folks who blew up a marriage or a family or a company because of arrogance? They just didn't see their blind spots. And they thought that nothing would ever happen to them. They'd never lose their kingdom. That's exactly what happens to them. And the metaphor God gave to Nebuchadnezzar was that of an axe. Hey, if you don't believe that what you've been given is stewardship, if you don't think you're accountable and that's temporary, you know, I will take the kingdom from you. His successor, Belshazzar, takes over and does the same thing. He doesn't think it's stewardship. He doesn't think it's temporary. He doesn't think he's accountable. So God appears to him and gives him the metaphor of a scale. Mean, mean, tekelaparzin. Your leadership, your influence has been weighed on the scales of heaven, and it's been found wanting, and therefore I will divide the kingdom. And history records that very night that the Persians came in through the underground water system and took over Babylon from the inside out. Leadership is stewardship. And what's amazing to me is in the midst of all these national power grabs, David continually sat in the seat of joy, speaks boldly to folks who could kill him at any second. He works with freedom. Why is it? How is it he was able to to have that experience? It's because he constantly sat in God's peace. So we're going to use that metaphor of where he sat to look at how Daniel was able to find joy in these transitions in leadership. S, stewardship. He really believed that God put him here in Babylon during this season, during these different kingdoms, to influence those. And it was a stewardship. And he had an incredible sense of responsibility. And that sense of responsibility you have, when you believe that what's been given to you is actually given to you, it's a stewardship There's a greater purpose to your life because somebody has stewarded what you have, your time, your money, and resources. So as you take that as a stewardship, you have a deep sense of responsibility on the decisions you make. And suddenly you can take on big challenges like lions because you know, you know, it doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how big the challenge is. I'm ultimately accountable to be responsible to somebody else. You can make incredibly difficult calls, which Daniel will make, because you're not responsible to to the polls of how popular the decision is. You're ultimately responsible to he who stewarded this position to you. This idea of stewardship is going to help him avoid tempting situations. It's going to help him say difficult things. There was a leadership book that came out years ago. I I can't remember if this is the title of the book or if this was one of the main principles. But the principle was this. What would your successor do? When you're in a tough leadership decision and you're sort of caught up with, yeah, if I do that, I'll make so-and-so mad. If I do that, this area will be mad. The question that the book suggested we ask ourselves is, what would your successor do? 
If somebody came in and replaced you, what would they do? If they hadn't been the, 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 the frog in the kettle and been boiled into all the, the weird, you know, where all the skeletons are buried around your organization. So you, you've got all that emotional energy, right, that's keeping you from making decisions. That's why, that's why you've got so much fear about trying to figure out what to do. But what would your successor do? Say, oh, well, I know what my successor would do. My successor would deal with this. They wouldn't put this decision off. They wouldn't, they wouldn't keep waiting to, to get rid of that thing and to move into this direction. What happens with that question is two things occur. When you ask yourself, what would your successor do, you remind yourself some objectivity. Wow. You know what? This is a stewardship. Somebody will eventually succeed me. It keeps you humble. Two, it keeps you objective. You say, wow, you know what? I'm struggling with this because I'm in it so deeply. But when I get objective and think about what my successor would do, actually the decision becomes a lot easier. And that's what Daniel's able to do. Because he knows he's not entitled to Nebuchadnezzar or to Darius, or to Belshazzar, or to Cyrus. He just says, hey, I will one day lose my influence. So what does God want me to do during this time to be responsible with the power and the influence he's given me? And that's what he does right here in the passage. He steps up and he speaks into that. So that's stewardship. The second thing as we turn the page is a sense of accountability. He sat in joy because he not only had a sense of stewardship, but accountability. And that gives him incredible boldness. Incredible boldness. You see, many folks get their company off into a ditch. They get their family into a ditch. They end up into an affair. And you know why? It's because they don't believe that the family they've been given, the marriage they've been given, the the opportunities they've been given is a stewardship and that they're accountable. And when you don't think you're accountable, you start doing this. And I see this in myself. I start thinking, wow, nobody appreciates me the way I should. And so, you know what? I'll sort of reward myself. And I know in general you shouldn't do this. But, you know, for me, just this one time, I'm going to reward myself. And then you just start talking yourself into the fact that there's a new set of rules for you and that you're not accountable. Accountability brings freedom. And for Daniel, the freedom it brought him was to speak his mind graciously but truthfully, to speak boldly against the forces that would come against him on the national stage. In fact, he's a teenager when he gets plucked out of uh, Jerusalem and dropped into Babylon. And immediately they want to Babylonianize him. We want you to eat food that you didn't used to eat. We want you to do things that maybe your religious background or your, your integrity doesn't allow you to do. And Daniel, even as a teenager, has a sense of accountability. Hey, hey, I know you could kill me at any moment, but I, I can't eat those things. And I can't do those things. And I'm not going to go that direction. But tell you what, he does it so diplomatically. How about we do a deal? You Babylonianize those guys and they eat those foods that you want them to eat. I'll eat the foods that I'm allowed to eat purity-wise with my Jewish background. And after a, a certain number of days, let's see... Who looks healthier? Okay, so they do this deal. And as they come back, it shows up that um, he found them to be ten times better than the magicians and astrologers who are in his realm. Nebuchadnezzar is struck by this totally different value system, this totally different work ethic, this totally different way of living and studying, and yet they were wiser, they were smarter. Something stood out against Daniel, and it was a sense of accountability. He had such boldness. He wasn't scared. All the other people were trying to like, well, what does Babylon want us to say? I don't want to make Nebuchadnezzar mad. What do we do to keep in his good graces? But there was something striking about Shadrach, Meshach, Tevedwigo, whatever his name is, and Daniel. There's something striking about them because they could speak boldness. They could speak truth in the organization. They could speak truth when nobody else was speaking truth. And that said something. In fact, even when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be thrown into the fire... Early on, Nebuchadnezzar's like, you will bow down. Nobody doesn't bow down when I tell him to bow down. And so he, he brings him up to the fiery furnace and says, you're going in there. And they say, well, if that's what has to happen, 
We have a God we're accountable to, and that gives us boldness. If we're going to die, we're going to die. So he says, heat it seven times hotter. Who cares? You know, if you're going to get boiled or you're going to get, or you're going to get charbroiled, I mean, what's the difference? But even at seven times hotter, they said, we'll go in. And they get thrown into the fire. And it says, the angel of the Lord appears and protects them. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's unconvinced about God, unconvinced about the God of the Bible, says, oh my goodness, I've never seen a God like this. But what's even more striking to him is that they were able to speak to him in ways people don't speak to him. And he respected them for it. They were gracious, they were kind, but they were bold and uncompromising in their convictions. They did a study of the six pillars of high performance of CEOs, and they found that one of the major leadership decisions that drove high performance was actually those who led out of who they were. They didn't try to be something they weren't. They led out of who they were. And of these six areas, they said it's those who added or put energy into their vocation, into their physical health, and into their spiritual health. Those who invested in their spiritual health was one of the primary factors for those who drove for higher performance. Why would that be? Because when you think you're accountable, not just to your stockholders, but to the person who put you in this position, you drive for performance. You want to be wise manager of what God's entrusted to you. And it gives you boldness in making difficult and challenging decisions. So we'll give you an example of how this happens. We're going to step into the story again. Nebuchadnezzar has got another dream, this time of a statue. And it's not good news again. It says, hey, your leadership's temporary and somebody's going to take over from your kingdom one day. Nobody wants to say this to the CEO. Nobody wants to say, if you keep making the decisions you're making, you're going to lose it all. But Daniel, because he sat in the seat of joy and believes he's accountable, he's able to be bold enough and speak like this. Let's watch. Remember, this is the guy who put meat hooks in people who disagreed with him. <laughs> Think how much courage it took. How much courage will it take for you and I? To be able to speak to things graciously and kindly as we can to say, hey, there's some problems here. We've got to work on it. We've got, we got to look into this. Let's turn the page. Look at the last one. He believed in stewardship, accountability, but here is the real secret to Daniel's success. He knew that his leadership was temporary. T for temporary. He, he believed it was temporary. And that brought him incredible freedom away from the politics. He wasn't trying to keep his position. He was trying to do what's right. See, many of us, like, like we saw earlier, it was again this thing, is that people lead to keep from losing it. Because, oh, no, I might lose it someday. Daniel says, of course I'm going to lose it someday. When you know that your leadership is temporary, you can get out of the politics. You say, yep, it is temporary. And here's what's so powerful about that. There will come somebody who will preach better, who will produce better, who will be smarter, faster, younger, and better at your job. That will happen. And well, that brings a lot of fear and anxiety, but it doesn't have to. You can say, yeah, yeah, that will happen. So how do I steward the time I have? And all of a sudden, if you realize your leadership is temporary, you can take more blame. And you don't lose your leadership position. You actually gain a hearing because people go, wow, what a leader. He's not so scared about losing his position. He takes responsibility for his decisions. You can actually start delegating more. You can actually start celebrating other people who are, who are better than you. And you build an organization that, where people have strengths that are better than your strengths because you realize that you're not so threatened. Your whole identity isn't whether or not you have this position or this title. It's temporary. And that temporariness fuels humility, which fuels teachability, which actually makes your lid go higher. Because if you're humble, you can always learn more and grow and get better. 
Who doesn't want somebody in the organization who leads so well that they keep bringing the best out of everybody, even if everyone gets better than them? You don't get rid of a guy or a woman like that. You keep them on your team. Because they're not driven by insecurity. They're driven by a sense of stewardship. And they know that however long they're with you in your company, however long they're with you, it's, it's a stewardship that's temporal and that brings incredible freedom. Several people say, well, Chad, what, what, what's sort of your secret? I mean, God's doing incredible things around Horizon. You seem like a pretty humble guy. What's your secret? I actually have this poem I keep on my desk. I read it about once every couple of weeks. It says, sometime when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego's in bloom, sometimes when you take it for granted that you're the most qualified in the room, sometime when you think that you're going will leave an unfillable hole, just follow this simple instruction and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hands in up to your wrists. Pull them out, and the hole that remains is the measure of how much you'll be missed. You may splash as you please when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a second that it looks just the same as before. The moral of this is quite simple. Just do the best that you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there is no indispensable man. What that does is it doesn't make you sort of put yourself down. It says, well, I've got freedom to use this window of time, whether it's two years, ten years, or thirty years, that God will have me. And I want to use it to the best of my ability. And it allows you to aim high, but still keep your heart teachable and humble. We had a, my ten-year anniversary was this last uh, summer. The yeah, Horizon. So staff got around, just really did a great thing. They uh, just encouraged me and said great things about uh, things they respected in me or saw God in me. And what I loved about the time we spent together was that I was the center of attention. No, no. What I really loved about um, I love that's why that's why I love this new stage we have here, so I can look down on everybody. It's, you know, this is just so good. This is so good. Um, you know, the theme that kept coming up. They said, Chad, we respect your teaching, your creativity, but we, we love how humble you are. We love how you haven't let all, all what God's done go to your head. And uh, I was just, that, was, that actually meant more to me than probably anything else that was said, because that is a real core value of mine, a core value of our team here at Horizon. Uh, now, thank goodness, after I was all done, they gave me this humility trophy, and it's fantastic. I keep it in my office. I didn't want you to see it. It's got my name, and it blinks, Chad, 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 and you push a little button, little trumpets come out, I'm the most humble man in the world. It's fantastic, but I didn't want to share it with you, quite frankly. I keep it in my office in a safe, but uh, it, it's, it's wonderful. There's something so powerful about this idea that leadership is temporary. In fact, that is what allows Daniel to stand up against the threats of the lion's den. Because all of his uh, Darius's fellow men, they don't think their leadership's temporary. So when Daniel comes in, when the Persians take over the Babylonians, they're like, oh my goodness, who's this new guy? You're keeping a guy from the old administration? Oh my goodness, we're merging, we're merging the company. Oh, what's going to happen to my position? Threat, threat, threat. And so the best way to deal with threats is to what? Eliminate the guy who might take my position. That's the motivation of the guys. who say, well, what can we do? He prays. <gasps> he prays. Let's say, let's say to the leader, anybody who talks to anybody but you for 30 days, recognize anybody's king but you for 30 days, we throw him in the lion's den. But their real motivation was they were so threatened by their job that they could not allow somebody new to come in better than them and have it make the organization better. And Daniel, because he thinks that his, he knows 
that joy comes from realizing that your position is temporary, Daniel is able to say, well, I'm still going to talk to the person who stewarded this position to me. You can threaten me with lions or fire, but I'm not accountable to you, my employees. I'm not accountable ultimately to my boss. I'm accountable ultimately to the person who stewarded me this position. And so just like he always has, he prays to God. And God rewarded him by giving him the courage of joy, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Let's watch. You know, Nebuchadnezzar would play music when he wanted people to bow down to him. So I thought we might end by playing a little music. Yeah, because all of us bow down to something, don't we? All of us have something that we think is our source in our life. And for Nebuchadnezzar, he thought he was the king of the world. And he thought everyone should bow down to him. He should, they should see him as his source. See him as, as the thing they should be scared of the most. And yet there was Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel that said, no, I won't. I'm ultimately accountable, and I only bow down to one. My leadership is stewardship. Later on in history, there will be an ultimate Daniel that will come. His name will be Jesus. And he practices this principle better than anyone I know. He has three years of ministry, and he changes the world. Three years, he could have said, hey, I'm God, bow down to me. But he spends the entire time serving other people. What's amazing about the life of Jesus is that in the Old Testament, there are these appearances of what's called the angel of the Lord. Uh, Bible commentators call it a theophanies, an Old Testament appearing of Jesus. Guess who shows up in that fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The angel of the Lord. It was Jesus appearing in the Old Testament saying, I will be the one that will walk through the fire with you. And you might be in a fire in your marriage or fire in your family. You might be in a fire in a business situation. And you say, I don't know what to do. And God says, if you will look at your life through the life of stewardship, I will walk through the fire with you. He's the ultimate Daniel who faced the ultimate lions. While we deserved, because of our own wrongdoing, our own self-centeredness, our own ability to revise history to make ourselves look better than we are, our, our heart's tendency to, to take the applause and to push off blame. That's why Jesus took on the ultimate lion's den by dying on the cross so the question it has for you and i is this sat stewardship accountability and temporary which one of those would best impact your life this week is it stewardship realizing that you've been entrusted with so much and start asking why have i been entrusted with so much just to upgrade more for myself or is it to bless others is it the a of accountability Wow, what would it look like if I knew I was accountable to a source greater than me? Well, I need some forgiveness if I'm accountable. And I need some leadership in my life if I'm accountable. I started thinking just as a dad, what if I really believed in that T of temporary? If you've got kids who are in elementary school, guess what? Your, your chance to be strategic with kids who are in elementary school, school that's temporary. You only, have, you only have like six years. Unless you're, you know, a few of my relatives, you have about eight years in elementary school. If you have a child right now, a high school student, you only have four years to impact them and influence them. Will you take that gift of influence and will you steward it well and say, I can't waste these years. I have to be strategic as a father, strategic as a husband, strategic as a parent and say, I need to use the influence, the leadership I have to the best of my ability. 
Well, I look at my, my, the way I spend my time and say, what would, what would it look like to sit in the seat of joy and look at my, my time clock from the perspective of stewardship? What if I get out my checkbook and say, what does my checkbook say to me about how I steward my money? Does it say that, well, the most important thing to me is me? Or is it God's work, God's priorities in the world? See, God wants more than anything to give you freedom, responsibility, boldness, and joy. And it comes by actually putting yourself under the purpose and mission of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Daniel. We thank you for his boldness as a man, his boldness as a leader. And many of us in this room, we have coming at us as soon as we leave this room, or certainly on Monday, incredible challenges. And they feel as real as a fiery furnace. They feel as real as a lion's den. God, we want to pause for a moment and ask for courage. Maybe you want to say that to God in your own heart. God, I need courage to face my lions. And God, I need forgiveness for the ways I have lied to myself about how important I am. Thank you for entering the fire of the cross and dying for me. And God, I need your courage deposited in me. And I want to recognize what Nebuchadnezzar refused to recognize. That you are the Most High God who places people in position of influence and gives to them as you choose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today for Joy Story. If you are new to Horizon and you want to give financially, some ways to give on your way out. If you'd like to meet some folks, third door on your left is the hearth room. We'd love to meet you, greet you, and put a name with a face. See you all next week.